All right. Happy Friday, everyone. And we are back with another episode of Learning Tech Talks, where we're exploring the landscape of learning technology and cutting through the fluff to help you do digital right. So today I'm joined by Nicole Desain. We are former colleagues and friends, and she's from Talent Imperative. And we are talking about all sorts of cool, popular trends like agile design thinking, virtual hackathons, um, all good stuff. So if you're joining us live, go ahead, give us a thumbs up, share the post, tagging somebody who would benefit from the conversation. And while you're at it, let us know where you're joining from. Uh, comment in and let us know. I'm joining up from Waukesha, Wisconsin. It is going to be a beautiful, like 70 some degrees today. It rained last night, which I think will hopefully knock down the humidity. So looking forward to the day wrapping up and, and hopefully getting outside. How about you, Nicole? Yeah, I'm joining in from Chicago, not that far away, but I have to say today is a rainy day again. It's raining down there? Yes. So we've had like 45 degrees and rain. Um, So (laughs) not as positive. So I have like my screen with the nice uh, Japanese flowers to bring a little bit. Okay. That's crazy because really it's we're talking a two hour drive tops from here. I I would not have guessed that it's colder and rainy down there. All right. Well, see, that's why I ask. That's why I ask because you never know. Mm-hmm. Okay. So before we get into it, right, before we start talking about virtual hackathons and all that good stuff, we've always got to have the question that is completely unrelated to the topic of the show. And so for those of you who are watching, feel free to comment in with your answers. But Nicole, a uh, question for you today is, what was your favorite class in high school? And then the second most important part is why. You said yeah. it was easy, so I'm actually looking forward to hearing what your answer is. Okay, well, uh, you might hear from my slight accent that I'm not from the US originally. So I was born actually in Germany. And okay. um, German was my favorite subject and really throughout my school career. Um, you know, reason. I always got A's. I think through my entire career, I got A's. Um, was just the subject that I loved the most because um, I really love German literature. Um, okay. We were also writing poetry. And for some reason, at that age, I was really into that, you know, writing my own poetry, okay. interpreting poetry um, in German. And um, yeah. Okay. That was All just right. my... What's funny, what's actually funny is when you said your favorite class was German. Okay, because I write, I'm stateside and always have been. Mm -hmm. Instinctively, I was thinking language class. And I'm like, you were Mm -hmm. in, you grew up Mm -hmm. in German, Germany, Mm -hmm. and you, your favorite class was learning how to speak German. And then it clicked and I went, no, (laughs) that's not it at all, right? That's not it at all. And what's funny is, okay, so my answer to this is similar, but a little bit different. And that my favorite class in high school was, it was, it was called English and public speaking. So see, this is where, right. I was like, oh, German. Yeah. I took Spanish instead, but no, completely different, right. You're talking about, right. The, the writing, the things like that. Okay. Yeah. 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 So yeah, from- and now, and the fun thing now is actually, so I've lived in the U.S. for like 15 plus years. And so when I go back to Germany or when I speak German, my German is actually horrible. So my high school really? teacher would do this because my German has become elementary school German. So that's sort of the life of an expat. <laughs> okay. Okay. That is really funny. Yeah. So for me, right, the reason I love the class that I took was one, um, Interestingly, my English English public speaking teacher in high school was he was hard on students, but in a very fun way, which I know that may sound really mm-hmm. kind of bizarre, but he was. He was very fun, but he really would tell you if you were not very good. Right. So you would write a paper and the thing would come back marked up to pieces and he would be like this is terrible how do you still not know what a prepositional phrase is? <laughs> like but in a funny he kind of like uh-huh. you a little bit and it made you really learn it. Cause I mean, you, you failed a lot. And the other thing is like, same thing with public speaking. If you'd mm-hmm. give a speech and you didn't do a good job, he told you, Mr. Helwig, I remember it. He would mm-hmm. just say that was not good. Try mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you're like, what? You know, especially in an age where everybody tells you everything you do is wonderful and all this. And then the mm-hmm. other thing that was a little bit unique about him is if you really pushed his buttons, he'd make you stand in the corner. Old school stuff, but ultimately, mm-hmm. honestly, you know, it was, it was my favorite class looking back on that. So, okay. That is so funny mm-hmm. though. When you said German, I was like, wow, you had to learn the language, but <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, I was a little slow. <laughs> oh, that is so funny. I was like, wow, that's a class. Okay. Uh -huh. I wouldn't have expected German to be in Germany, but okay. Uh -huh. Wow. Thanks for the clarification. You're welcome. Okay. So <laughs> this is why I like these intros, right? Because the intros just make it interesting. Mm -hmm. um, all right. So let's actually get on the topic here a little bit more about you know, the title of the show is Solving Business Problems by Hacking People Problems. And we're getting into this conversation. People saw the post leading up to this. We're talking about this whole virtual HR hackathon. So before we get into the nuts and bolts of it, for people who may not be familiar with it, what what is a HR hackathon? We won't even go virtual at this point, but yeah. what is an HR hackathon? Yeah, so a hackathon, people might know it or think, and it's true, that it comes from the tech world, right? So coders locked in, in a room and just hacking away, creating a product. Okay. And so that's that that's it, right? So there's there's this coding aspect to it, and there's a time aspect to it usually. So it's yeah. within a certain amount of time, they have something that they need to accomplish in a team. So that's okay. sort of the basic premise where hackathons come from. And then for um, the HR Hackathon Alliance, which I founded a year ago, um, we've used sort of some of that idea, um, but to bring, use it to bring the design thinking method to HR. So we do two hour, uh, what we call hackathons, which are really ideation sessions where we ask the community to bring a challenge and then we, you know, ideate around it during that two hour live event. Okay. So is it, and, and that's right. When I hear hackathons, that's my initial thought, right? Or, or it was, I, I've become more familiar with the concept of a hackathon over time. But I think when they first started, it was a coding thing. You came in and you were mm -hmm. trying to do this. the timing one though. I actually, I guess I wasn't familiar with the fact that that's a big part of it is that it's on a time clock. Mm -hmm. Okay. So with that, you're talking about the communities coming together and doing that. Is it, is it super structured? Is it just, Hey, you've got mm -hmm. two hours go nuts i mean what is what does the actual flow look like yeah so there's some um, there's definitely some structure to that um okay. so it's it's um so a we have a challenge that that we have so we have a sort of a challenge winner it's a okay. very concrete challenge that their organization faces in hr but that is of broad appeal to others so for example okay. we've had diversity recruitment employee experience you know first time manager support things like that um and then we always start off with, uh, um, we break the groups into smaller groups. So it's usually between 30 and 50 people and we have them in smaller groups and we have a table coach okay. uh, for each group. So they have that support. And then we start off with an insights panel, what we call an insights panel. Um, so that's a group of people who, you know, just bring mm, additional insights and input into the topic before we have people ideate. And then it's sort okay. of a three-step very rapid um, process that we launch them through and they're guided by the table coaches and it all ends in a concept poster that's sort of the deliverable from each okay. group and then they pitch that um and that's sort of the two hour event that we do okay so each team comes up with kind of their their poster mm -hmm. in terms of what their solution mm -hmm. is. and they're exactly Mm -hmm. Okay. So with that, I guess some follow-up questions to this. Do you mm -hmm. typically see, or when you've done these so far, is this, are you bringing people together from across different organizations? Are they yeah. all from one organization, different mm -hmm. parts of the organization? What's typically been the flow? Yeah. So it's a, it's public. So they come from okay. all kinds of organizations. And we've, so we've seen Fortune 100, small companies, non-for-profits, um, from HR leaders to HR professionals, L&D professionals, recruiters. It really depends on the challenge we're hacking. Okay. Uh, we've also had managers, employees, you know, because we really want to bring in, this is not, we're inclusive in terms of while we call it HR hackathon, we always invite others into it. And that's my big philosophy, right? Um, and I don't want to bang on traditional HR organizations, but usually we all sit together. It's only HR. We talk to each other. We <laughs> try to solve problems for our clients just with ourselves. <laughs> um, so we try to bring in our clients or you know others who might have like IT or marketing who might have whom we might learn from and give us ideas on how to solve this, right? Because design thinking in its very premise is user-centric. So it's okay. it would be ironic if we sat in a room trying to solve our problems for our clients without including them. <laughs> but how often does that happen, right? Right? I mean, it happens. Let's, let's not say it doesn't. So with that, yeah. 
And I think another point that you brought up that's mm -hmm. I'm curious about. So this isn't even though it's a hate HR hackathon. So mm -hmm. you're trying to solve an HR problem. It's Correct. not just HR professionals trying to solve it. You're including other stakeholders and and mm -hmm. people who would potentially mm -hmm. be the end user mm -hmm. of it to help mm -hmm. solve for it. Yeah. So in a way, HR is a misnomer. It's really people or work related problems that we're trying to hack. Okay. Um, but HR hackathon just the the term is much more pithy or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> <laughs> you got to have something in front right, of it. Right, if you right. just leave it as hackathon, right. then people exactly. will think that it's it's a coding event. So I'm curious right. with that one, because I know sometimes it can be a challenge when you're in your function or if you have a background in your function, you may know a lot of people within mm -hmm. that function. You mm -hmm. may not necessarily have a ton of connections to other business functions. So how are... How are these people coming in? I mean, are they inviting their, you know, kind of colleagues, the people that they're working with? Are you just kind of bringing all that together or are you, are you kind of crowdsourcing that? Yeah, a little bit of both. So okay. we are uh, locally organized. So I have local hosts and we are right now in five cities. Um, okay. we're, we're trying to grow, you know, ultimately I want this to be broad globally because my passion is really to bring design thinking to HR. That's really what it's about. It's a very quick, fun way to experiment, experiment with design thinking um, and learn some of the main premises. So we, I have local hosts and they sort of do the marketing and the promotion and the recruitment of participants locally. Okay. Okay. And then for the table hosts, right? So if you, mm -hmm. because I'm, I'm imagining I mean, I've done fair amounts of similar type things in the learning mm -hmm. space. You can't mm -hmm. just say, hey, Nicole, no. this yeah. is your first time doing it. Guess mm -hmm. what? We voluntold you to be table host. Mm -hmm. Knock yourself mm -hmm. out. So is, mm -hmm. are you actually those table hosts? They're specific yeah. people that have been upskilled in this, correct? Right. So their role is actually key. And we've heard that uh, based on feedback from the participants. So, mm -hmm. you know, they're really key in providing because they're driving that conversation really the, the, you know, the very tactics of it and helping that group. Um, so we do, when we re recruit table hosts, we, we like people who are familiar with the design thinking method or at very least with facilitation, group facilitation okay. techniques. Um, and then we do a little bit of a training for them, like okay. a, a prep to share best practices and talk about their role and things like that beforehand. Okay. Got it. So you've mentioned design thinking a couple of times. I know mm -hmm. that probably people watching have heard it. Um, you talked a little bit about, right, it's it's human-centric, it's user-centric in terms of what that is. But can you articulate a little bit more? I know, I know design thinking is a big part of what you do, but can you kind of flesh that one out a little bit? Yeah. So at its very core, the definition of design thinking, it's, it's a method and mindsets for complex problem solving and surfacing innovation. So um, and, you know, as you know, in the people space, we never have any complex problems, right? So, yeah. <laughs> no, because people are really easy to solve. People are for. really people easy. People are super easy. Not messy at all. Yeah. So mm -hmm. whenever they have complex problems, whenever you want to be user-centric, and, of course, employee experience is very trendy right now. So taking the point of view that, shocker, maybe our employees or our leaders are more like customers, um, so whenever you have a context like that, design thinking is really a great method to use. So complex problem solving, innovation, um, human centeredness okay. in a way, those are sort of the, the components. Okay. And how does it, how does it vary from maybe, I mean, were there traditional ways of doing it? The design mm -hmm. thinking is kind of right. taking over what's, how does it compare? Yeah, so um, originally um, it came, uh, I think started in the 90s and it was okay. used for product design and then app design and the latest frontier is sort of service design and experience design. So it's use cases are inpatient experience design, okay. for example, and then employee experience is really the last sort of frontier where okay. it's starting to make inroads, but it's still not, it's still an emerging practice, I would say. Okay, okay. Well, and I know, so I've done a, a decent amount of kind of research into it, taking some courses on it and things like that. And mm -hmm. it's, it's surprising where I've, and you tell me if I'm wrong, but one of my interpretations of where design thinking can go south is part of design thinking is about really the mindset and kind of the approach you take. And sometimes where I think it has the potential to go south is when people try and compartmentalize it into just a static process again, and, and it kind of loses some of its luster. Mm -hmm. Is that fair? That, that's fair. And that's why even though there's 
you know, stages. So you start with the research phase, then the ideation phase, and then the prototyping and testing phase. So it sounds very linear, but in reality, it should be iterative. So you might do some research, you might ideate, but then that might throw up new questions. So you might go back to research, right? So although it sounds like a linear process, you're really meant to go back and, and do loops. When you get to prototyping, you might find out things that didn't work, so you might go back to ideation. So it's really meant to be yeah. sort of loopy, um, even though there are loopy, systematic... Like it. right. Loopy. Add, right, it's loopy. Okay. Well, and, and that's that's kind of what I was getting at, right, is that it's on a piece of paper or on a slide, it can right. look linear. Okay, right. we go Correct. from step one to two mm-hmm. to three to mm-hmm. four. And mm-hmm. if you execute that way, mm-hmm. you're actually missing some of the core of how to actually maximize what it can do. Right. And that's why I usually I talk about it as a method and a mindset. So each phase of the process too has an associated mindset. So the research or discovery, you're supposed to go in with a sense of curiosity. You know, we're all humans, we all have our biases, but that stage you're suspend, you know, you're asked to suspend your biases. And there are certain methods you can use to help you with that, to really put yourselves in the shoes of your user, gain empathy, things like that. So I always call it sort of my Sherlock Holmes phase. I'm a Sherlock Holmes fan, you know? So what are the clues that I need to find to solve the mystery, right? So that's sort of the anthropologist Sherlock Holmes mindset. And then the ideation phase is marked by a mindset of creativity. Okay. We want to unleash creativity, which is really hard, usually for corporate folks, because we have unlearned how to be creative. Um, so there's, you know, certain activities we can do to kind of unleash that. Uh, and then the mindset for prototyping is experimentation and a mindset of failing is okay, which that's also very counter business culture. So um, so those are more the mindsets that, especially when, when I, I use that with HR, because it's so new. So I focus really more of how can we build these mindsets? Yes, there's all these methods and tools underlying each phase that we can use that are fun and whatever, but I'm really more interested in developing this mindset because once you really caught the design thinking bug and you start using it, you notice that you actually can apply it. I apply it. I try to apply it in every aspects of my life, for example, you know, for example, so I'm a more type A person, leader, whatever. And so for me, this whole notion around empathy and grounding myself in empathy, not that I'm, I don't think a mean person, but it's just a very, <laughs> I'm German, different approach to. <laughs> you know what's funny about it? I have, I have a lot of colleagues in France, right. in Germany, right? And there right. is a culture to Germany and that's not, so, right. and it's not but it's not necessarily right. just ingrained to the culture. Right, right. So it's very, you know, a process and results driven. And so for me, um, it's a great practice to ground myself in empathy. Another one that I always hone is storytelling, which is sort of a method that weaves throughout all the phases and then this whole creativity of visualization and actually drawing you know those are the things that personally don't come easy to me so i uh, always practice them i always remind myself to hone those skills okay okay well and the mindset piece you bring up and i actually want to dig into this a little Mm -hmm. bit more because i do think this is so some of the things you're talking about resonate well with me what even before you know design thinking was something that was at the Mm -hmm. forefront of mind because it is this whole shift it's really a big shift to start normalizing and, and expecting failure, right? You're, you're going into it saying this, this isn't always going to work. It's, mm-hmm. it's a complete shift in things. I'm curious, having spent as much time as you have in HR and now, now leading these things, what are some of the big hurdles that you see people run into? Because I, I know I run into it on my side in learning and development where pe- people just struggle to get there. What are some of the things you see people run into where they just are having a hard time get traction? And what are you what are you doing to help people with that? Yeah, that's a good point. I actually asked that um, very question. So that some of the um, feedback that I'm getting um, is is it starts with ourselves. So f- first of all, a fear in ourselves to try this because again, it seems so creative or designery or IT, and I can't possibly do it. I'm a people person. So that, that's the first barrier is usually starts with themselves. Yeah. Um, and then secondly, how do I translate this design thinking method to, to HR, what we do in HR, right? So for example, prototyping, that's, you know, I, I did a research a couple of years ago, which phase they are, you know, HR is most familiar with or have, has used most, uh, which is ideation. That's what people commonly associate with design thinking. And the least is prototyping because that's not as, 
intuitive to think through what might a prototype be for an experience or a service versus a product or an app. Okay. It's very clear cut, right? So um, those are the things. And what I found on the flip side, what makes maybe design thinking successful in HR when I study case studies is that there's, there's somebody up high, you know, either the CEO. So when, when I work with a company on a design sprint for talent, for example, uh, we pitched that to the CEO and they're a, com a company of software engineers. So they use it all the time. So we said, yeah, we want to do a talent sprint, uh, a sprint just for talent. And he's like, oh, okay. Because he understands the method understand. works, right? So you have a champion who knows design thinking, maybe hasn't thought about it for talent, right? Um, or the other thing, uh, it, it was spearheaded by a CHO who previously worked at another company and was exposed to design thinking and then brought it to the organization. Um, or it's very ingrained in the culture already in what they do. For example, Airbnb is a great example, and they just have shown up with this human-centered mindset again in their recent layoffs. But so their whole business is built on a human-centered approach, and they use that throughout. So it's part of your business. It's uh, an executive who knows the method, or it's an HR leader usually who has been exposed to it so that tends to be a way for how it gets started and ingrained uh, and maybe sustained even in an in okay. an organization in hr okay got it and uh you know I, one of the questions that came in we've been talking a lot about this mindset uh you, you mentioned a handful of them but i want to make sure that mm -hmm. uh you know we answer those kind of questions are there are there specific mindset kind of shifts that you see people needing to make and can you define them or are they super rigid not rigid but are there specific ones where you say hey one of the ones you brought up was right this comfort with failure which to me is is a is a big one are there other ones where you say hey you have to get really comfortable with this or you have to kind of shift your mind around this yeah and so i'm a recovering perfectionist myself um <laughs> and i think that's that's counterintuitive to design thinking. So I'm a recovering perfectionist and a former Accenture consultant. So, okay. you know, where you're trained to deliver something that is 110%, okay. right? Before you even send it to somebody or let alone the client, right? So um, I think, and, and many, I think HR folks have that, have that as well, right? We want to do a great job because we want to showcase we're good in HR, right? And what we do is right. high quality. We don't want to be seen as, hey, what do they? Um, so I think that is probably one of the hardest things to get over that, no, you don't need. I mean, yes, you, you want to deliver quality, but it's more having this iterative mindset and bringing others in earlier. Hey, let's look at this together and co-create this versus, hey, I'm going to design something and then throw it at you for review. Right. So it's a very different mindset and bringing people in earlier and through that you iterate through. So mm -hmm. I think that that's a mind mindset shift. That's that's hard. Um, but yeah, the whole failure thing. Again, we are a culture in business. We're not rewarded for failure. Let's put it that way. What are yeah. we rewarded for? We are rewarded for success. So that is very counterintuitive to to what we do. Um, then some of the objections that I get also are, you know, this seems like. If I, if I take more time to really understand the problem up front versus launching a new solutioning right now, right? That's the other mindset. We want a solution right away. Okay. Uh, we are also okay, without really for that. digging into like, without, digging exactly. what the problem is. And so that mindset, and then that goes along with a, a perception of timeliness, right? I need to solve the problem now. I don't have time to do all the research. So what we found actually in design thinking is if you take that time to do the research up front and bring in people early, you actually save time um, on the back end because guess what? You're not designing and then shoving things people down people's throats and then it fails and you have to redo your entire program, right? So in the end, you actually save time by investing a little bit more time and really understanding what you're trying to solve for. Okay. Well, there's a few things I, I would kind of add my spin to it mm -hmm. just from my background on it because I agree with Literally, I mean, the three things you brought up are huge. And I think there's tremendous opportunity to do that. And I think one of the things design thinking helps us do is give a name to that, right? To give to give an approach to that that gives some credibility to, hey, we're doing these things as part of this bigger move versus just saying, hey, we're going to start failing more. Nobody wants to go and be like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to fail a lot. But we can say we're going to take a more design thinking approach to things. Mm -hmm. And I can see... I, I'm, I can speak from the learning side and I'm sure on the HR side, there is this need to kind of showcase that 
what we're doing matters, that we're making an impact. And sometimes where that goes south is, like you said, you're so focused on getting it right, you miss actually solving a problem, right? You're, you're so focused on kind of working in your own silo and getting it perfect that you fail to actually bring other people in and actually solve a problem. So I think that's, it's, it's definitely an opportunity area. I would say not just in HR. I mean, I think that's something that now yeah. granted it's a balancing act. Uh, you know, I think, and I, and I tend to be a recovering just like, let's just go and we'll figure it out. If it blows up, it's fine. We'll fix it later. And sometimes I have to have people kind of reel me back and say, let's at least put a little bit of, of stuff behind it before we just pull the trigger. But I, I can see where it's a bit of a shift for people to do that. Are there things that you have found work to help people to, to do that, to make that jump so that they don't come in? Cause I have to imagine you start a hackathon. If you have a bunch of people coming in going, this is how we always do it. This is how I'm going to do it. And I, I can't work there. That yeah. probably doesn't work very well. <laughs> no. And I was actually going to just add because, and this might answer this question as well, is that I think actually now, in this crisis is a great time to use this and start this because we are literally in an environment and I think people will be more open to it because we're literally in an environment where we need to have an agile mindset in reinventing our businesses, our business strategy, our people practices, right? And we we can have a one-year plan. It just won't work. I mean, I mean, we can sort of have a draft, but we don't know what the future holds. No. So literally, we are operating in an environment right now where an agile mindset and, um, you know, experimenting with things quickly, failing quickly and learning from them and doing, you know, iterating on them. Now is the time to do it. And I think people will take this risk now more than ever because they, I, I think they understand this, right? Yeah. So I, I think... And I don't well, want to say regards, you, you don't know, have a choice, right? In exactly. some regards, you don't have a choice. It's like we, yeah. we have to try something. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, it's as cruel as that might sound, you know, but in a way, this crisis has given us a lot of latitude to experiment with some of these things. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the other thing you brought up that I think is absolutely, and, uh, you know, Rebecca mentioned this, and I, I agree with this on all regards, is so often we think jumping to the solution and moving fast is actually moving fast mm -hmm. and it actually ends up in so much rework. We end up missing mm -hmm. the target. Time yeah. and resources is wasted because mm -hmm. we didn't take the time up front to say, let's move slow to figure out what the real problem is, what we need to do, how we're going to execute against that. Then we can actually move fast because we know what needs to happen. And I think that's a, mm -hmm. it's a lesson of the counterintuitive. Yeah. Right. It can feel like, well, we need to hurry up and get going on actually creating a solution versus, well, no, let's figure out what solution we should be creating first. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't necessarily need to be slow. That's the other thing. Right. So and we've got to talk about That's the hackathon. Fair. Right. Where we literally within three days, we went through all the phases very rapidly. Right. So it's just the mindset of taking a step back. Yep. That's fair. That's fair. It right. doesn't necessarily have to be associated right. with slow so much as. Correct. Thoughtful and intentional, Correct. I guess would be a better way yep. to put it. No, no. Um, so, so let's transition a little bit. I think that paints a picture of what we're talking about when we're talking about, you know, HR hackathons, which really are just people problem hackathons. Instead mm -hmm. of applying this methodology to code and yep. software, you're applying it to people, which is also another big complex mess. <laughs> so with that though, I can see there being, because this is a topic and I know there's a number of topics that I personally from my side of the house have been in where people go, but you just can't do that virtually. There's mm -hmm. just no way to do that virtually in order to have that level of collaboration, that level of teamwork and camaraderie around this. You just, you just have to do it in person, which with everything going on recently, isn't an option. Uh, so you went through that journey of saying, okay, we've got this really cool thing really effective, works well, but we can't necessarily bring everybody together. Mm -hmm. What was that like? <laughs> yeah, it was sort of interesting. And this is me practicing a little bit my storytelling, yeah. um, how this started. So I was actually um, infected with COVID-19. And fortunately, nothing like some of the poor people who are suffering so greatly. Um, we, we were really lucky. But Nonetheless, it was a very scary experience. And so it was one of those days I was laying on my couch feeling really sorry <laughs> for myself. <laughs> um, 
And all of a sudden, I saw all these German language tweets popping up. And I'm like, what's going on in Germany? What are they doing? Um, come to find out that actually the German government um, sponsored a weekend virtual hackathon inviting all kinds of citizens, really, um, to hack around all kinds of things COVID-19 related because they realized they needed civic engagement in order to hack it. And they ended up having 40,000 people involved. It was a massive effort. Uh, it was all virtual. And then actually the European Union in April also um, sort of replicated that. And I'm sure they had even more than that. So um, it's been used for civic engagement. And those are folks that are involved that are literally have maybe never heard the term hackathon before, right? Yeah. Literally. Um, and so they used all kind of free tools. And I was lucky enough to connect with the organizers um, to learn from them. I was too late to participate because I was sick, whatever. But I felt really inspired and also, um, yeah, they, they did it all with free tools. Okay. For, I mean, they literally crashed Slack. They crashed YouTube. They crashed, they crashed all kinds of tools because it was such a mass of people. Anyways, so and then meanwhile, I lead this HR Hackathon Alliance where we already do live hackathons. So I'm like... Okay. Okay, if there was ever a time, and we do these two-hour li uh, live events, if there was ever a time to make it a little bit longer, make it more of a real hackathon, this is now. So why not do a virtual, you know, bring what we do together with hacking, making an impact in this crisis, right? And I'm not a healthcare professional, so uh, that's not my area of expertise. My area of expertise is HR. So uh, I'm like, let's do a virtual hackathon like this. Um, using our HR Hackathon Alliance sort of power, um, applying it to work-related problems in the COVID-19 crisis. So this is how the idea was born. Okay. Um, and it ended up being a seven, they did a 48 hour. I decided to do a 72 hour for two reasons. One, I wanted it to be global. They just did a you know, German needs a one time zone. So if it's global, you know, working across time zones, you really, you know, want to give people a little bit more time to, be able to manage that dynamic and yeah. have a meaningful outcome. And then secondly, um, meaningful to me and for COVID-19 is 72 hours is actually the time that you need to be symptom-free in order to be released from home isolation Interesting. If, if you were infected. So there's a symbolic component to it and a you know, very practical sort of bringing people in globally. Okay. So when, you, so, so when you've <laughs> done these, it's been with people from... It's not just all, okay, Chicago. It's you're bringing people from across cross country lines then. Well, so the live ones are local. So yeah, they're the live ones are, right, right, right. That's, that's the but, beauty of technology. Yep, yep. You start going with Correct. technology, you can now scale this and, yep. and bring it to a much broader audience. Yeah, I think we had six or eight countries represented um, okay. in the virtual hackathon. Yep. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what tools, so obviously in Germany, they broke the internet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yep. what tools did you end up using? Yeah, we didn't have that many people. <laughs> we had 100. You didn't, you didn't break the internet with your No, we did not break the internet. Uh, I was, you know, there were moments where I was afraid of that, but we didn't have that many people okay. participate. So we had like 130 people. So I went, wow. felt comfortable. Cool. I felt comfortable with the tools, you know, using those tools. Um, so we used Slack. Um, we used Zoom uh, and Google Docs as the main sort of overall, overall organizer tools and to organize the overall experience. And then each sub team uh, was, you know, was given the latitude to use whatever additional tools okay. they want to use for their particular problem. So some brought in Mural or Miro, which are virtual design thinking tools. Others went old school, just used Google Docs. So it was totally up to them how okay. they would complement um, sort of that tech stack that we had. Um, I briefly considered using DevPost. I don't know if people have, that's a very, I think, IT hackathon sort of tool where okay. people actually who run hackathons um, can post their projects on it. Um, I briefly considered that for this, but then I figured just using Slack and maybe some other tools that would be enough novelty for many people. You know, yeah. I didn't want people to be overwhelmed. Feel overwhelmed with like, hey, and here's the 37 new tools that none Correct. of you are familiar with. Right. So, and I created a website. It's hrvsvirushackathon.org. So what we did, and so to document, really richly document the projects for others to then benefit from, right? So I had a template in Google Docs. I had a folder for each team and they had a template where they had to document their process and their Absolutely. solutions. Um, and they also had to create a two-minute pitch video. So we collected all that documentation. And then each team got a 
page on the website where all the documentation of the case now is available. All the surveys that they did, all the research, there's you know underlying documents that people can access in addition to the solution. So that was sort of the way how we got around it in a maybe less you know techie way. <laughs> yes. Well, but I mean, I think, and I think this is one of the things that sometimes there's opportunity, whether it's HR, talent, learning, wherever you are, to sometimes we hold ourselves back because we go, well, we don't have. <laughs> we don't have all the the bells and whistles to do this right. And mm-hmm. you know, to your point, Slack, Google Docs, Zoom. I mean, mm-hmm. even if it's not Zoom, most most everybody has some sort of virtual meeting tool mm-hmm. to be able to pull that together. So it doesn't necessarily have to be high fidelity, mm-hmm. super high end, all the fancy stuff. And in many no. regards, I almost think to some degree it could be better to go that route because to your point, People are more familiar with it. You know, going into a Zoom meeting is a little less intimidating than trying to join, you know, something much, much bigger than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so on that topic, then talk a little bit about the, I'm curious, the breakdown of, because obviously if you use Slack, Google Docs, and Zoom, it was a combination of live, kind of live collaboration mm-hmm. and asynchronous Correct. collaboration. So how, wh- what was the breakdown over those 72 hours? Yeah, yeah. Um, So let me start with saying that we had, so like we have an hour hackathon, we have different roles supporting it. We had that as well. So we had three different roles and they were, you know, in in each team. So we had the challenge steward, we called them, and that was the person who provided the, submitted the initial challenge that was hacked before the hackathon, right? So we actually had eight challenges submitted. We ended up hacking five because that's where the energy of the group went. So we had somebody who the challenge steward provided the challenge, but then was also on each team to provide more context because obviously they already thought about it. Maybe they researched the topic, right? So to provide that continuity. Then we had the role of the moderator, similar to what we do as the table coach, right? So a person who in the virtual environment sort of made sure the conversation was going along and helping, right, leading the team in essence, right? Uh, and then we had we added a role that we don't usually have because it's we only go through ideation in our life events is a mentor, because okay. we were going to create solutions. We needed to have subject matter experts in certain fields like data analytics or um, storytelling or change management, right? So we had subject matter expert mentors who then joined several teams or will, were pulled in by the teams as they needed that expertise. Okay, okay. so those were the roles that supported it. Um, then from a high level structure, um, so we had the challenges organized in Slack channels. Okay. And so at the beginning of the day, we published the challenges in an Excel sheet and asked people to select their challenge and join that Slack channel. So okay. join their team yeah. uh, in essence. Um, and then we used Zoom. So I used Zoom. So I co-organized this event. So the HI Hackathon Alliance co-organized this event with IC Stars, which is a not-for-profit um, workplace development um, organization. So okay. they, um, so so Sandy and I, she's the executive director, and I kicked off every day at 9 a.m. But it was recorded. So to your point, okay. people who weren't there time-wise could listen to it later, That's right? So we did a little kickoff every morning to talk about, well, the first one, I talked about the entire structure of the entire three-day experience. And then every day we talked about sort of the high-level flow for the day. And then we also incorporated a little bit, I call it a mini education segment. Again, we do design thinking light, more through experimentation than telling people. Yeah. But um, so I had a little segment. So each day was dedicated, as I said, to one stage in the design thinking process. So first day research, second day ideation, third day prototyping. So I did a little interview with an expert on each topic, like a 10-minute back and forth. Okay, research. Tell us a little bit, bit about it. What is it? What are tips you can give the teams and things like that? So like a mini impulse before they got started on their teams. And then we sent them off. So that was like a 30-minute kickoff every morning. And then they went into their teams and did their activities throughout the day. And then we kicked off again the next day and so forth. So that was sort of the high-level structure. Okay. Got it. Yeah. So, I mean, it it really is a, it's a combination of synchronous, asynchronous, but Mm -hmm. you're very collaborative in this sense. So before mm-hmm. I ask my follow-up question, uh, so what what were the big problems that you landed on? What were the, what were that you said there were? I mean, you don't have to list them off. If you do, but do you remember at least the kind of trends of what were some of the ones? Because I'm sure 
people watching or listening are curious, you know, with yeah. HR, what were some of these big people problems that bubbled to the surface? Yeah, and this was interesting. And that's why I actually wanted to crowdsource these challenges also from the community to you. Because to your point earlier, there's so many things going on right now. And I'm sure from when we sourced them, that was in end of March till now, they've already totally changed. I'm sure. That, that's the nature of what we're going through right now, right? But so I wanted to get a sense for what are what are what is on people's minds right now and solve that, right? So, um, so the five challenges that we ended up hacking were around safe return to work. So okay. that's on, on Chloe's mind. How, how can we facilitate that? Um, virtual onboarding, because some companies are still hiring and yeah. they're hiring into a virtual environment. Um, let me see, uh, me meaningful connections. Okay. So um, how can we make and maintain meaningful connections in a remote environment? Um, uh, talent redeployment. So, you know, we have record high unemployment, especially in the US. There's a lot of HR and TA people being displaced. On the other hand, we have entry-level talent who won't be able to find a job maybe. Yeah. So how can we maybe bring creatively bring these groups together to help each other? Um, I'm missing one. Oh, anxiety. So COVID-19 related anxiety. Um, you know, yeah. I think everybody's going through this right now. So how can we, as an, in a workplace environment, how can we help with that? Yeah. So those were the five people, okay. uh, problems or challenges that people call last round. Okay. And these were from, these were from multiple companies from, from different countries, correct? This, was, this wasn't yep. just like a local group of folks. Yeah. That was sourced from anybody who wanted to submit a challenge. We used a tool called, what was it called? Guana. Uh, I think that was used in Germany for challenge solicitation. So it's a company out of Estland or something. I don't know. They usually work with academics. I just learned about them. But so they have a way where you can submit challenges and then you can have reviewers or, you know, and you can upvote, downvote challenges, things like that. So it's a okay. it's a tool to mm, create structure around the challenge submission and selection process okay. in essence. Well, and what's interesting about the five that you landed on, at least my take is while things have changed over the last couple of months, to me, the ones that you you actually refined in on, well, maybe the application or the urgency behind some of those have, have shifted. I don't see any of those five being things that aren't relevant, mm -hmm. you know, even now, even now to me, I think those are on the topics of a lot of people's mind. If anything, mm -hmm. the fact you were talking about those back in March speaks to kind of the proactive nature of what you, I mean, you're trying to get ahead of things versus yeah. waiting until people are going back into the workplace and you're dealing with, so what do we do about it? So I think I can see yeah. that tremendous benefit there. Yeah. And we, the, it's, it's a matter of how you phrase also the ask. So I think I phrased it in a way, you know, what are I experiencing today or what do you anticipate we'll experience in the future? So I, I think the way I phrased it was um, partially now, cause we want to address real problems now, but also looking a little bit, if you can into the future. So. Okay. Designed to almost kind of help people think, mm -hmm. think beyond the fires mm -hmm. that they're currently putting out. Which right. is so hard. I mean, I have a ton of, you know, I'm, I'm a former HR leader and I have so much empathy for, to me, you, you guys are heroes, honestly, next to our healthcare workers, you guys are heroes and what, what you're dealing with right now. Yeah. Well, there's, I mean, there's a lot of challenges that we're, we're dealing mm -hmm. I mean, that they're, we're all dealing with in that, in that space. And I agree the people side of it is huge, especially because the potential for long-term consequences of making the wrong decisions right now is is high. It's a it's a high risk, high stakes game right now. I think mm -hmm. in terms of as we're trying to solve some of these things. Mm -hmm. um, with that, one question I have on the so you brought these people from all over different companies. Was there ever any challenge or resistance to kind of collaborating across company lines? things like that? Or for the most part, did you see people were like, it doesn't really matter. Let's kind of unite around. I mean, you kind of in some ways did that by saying we're uniting around hacking the virus, um, which we all are trying to do versus, well, we're trying to solve this problem for our company. But did you ever run into that with that where people said, you know, well, this doesn't really apply to our company or no? I think that's when people select out already before, you know, <laughs> it's my assumption, right? They wouldn't even sign sign up for that um and, and so my I, I so i didn't see that you okay. know from what i heard or from what i observed i can't speak for what people were thinking but from my observation i didn't see that and i think the reason is to your point this was such a big and purposeful topic um that people were really able to rally around 
And there wasn't really any, I don't think any necessarily competitive information shared or anything like that, you know, where people might be worried about, but it was really around. And we always communicated out. So this is open, will be open source. We will share your results. We will share your, you know, wireframes, whatever you designed freely. You know, everybody will be able to access it, use it, you know. So that was always the spirit. And that was one of our guiding principles. So we published beforehand guiding principles of how we are interacting. And that was one of them. You know, we're, you know, we are designing this for the greater good. So I think that that helped with that as well. Okay. So one question Rebecca had asked before, and you know, I think it's a, it's a fair one. You hit on it a little bit, but I've got a little bit of a take on this, but I'm interested in your thoughts too. Uh, you know, she brought up the point that so often, I think, especially in, in the learning talent HR space, there's a lot of push for us just to, you know, from the business leaders to come up with fast solutions, right? Like we just, we need this now because, there's this pain point in our world and we want it solved and we just need you to fix it. And that can oftentimes push resistance when we say, I hear you and let's make sure we fully understand the problem before we just jump to solutioning. I'm curious, you know, just to answer Rebecca's question, I'll, I'll give a little spin on my end too, but how have you helped other people or how would you encourage people to, when they get that push where they may be told, you know, we don't have time to do that right now, just, just go. How, how do you seamlessly and gently navigate that? Yeah, I would. Um, what I've heard and what I've seen and what I, in that context, maybe counsel is instead of saying, oh, we're going to do this big design thinking initiative, you know, uh, maybe start small and maybe don't even use design thinking. As you know, sometimes it's about the packaging. Yeah. Right. So it's just like, let's just try something new. You know, you've said before, we should get closer to our leaders. Right. Um, how about we try this? And, you know, this has shown to be successful because, you know, and, and maybe you don't even call it design thinking and just say, hey, let's just try that. So I've heard that from clients and, and HR leaders that that's a tactic they have used, you know, and then, and, and that's the thing with design thinking. Once you catch the bug, you've got it. So then what happens is people experience it. People are really excited about it. They talk about it. It spreads. And then people come back and say, hey, that thing that you did the other day, that was really cool. Can you do that again? Or, you know, or can we do it there? Or could we apply it there? So that's a tactic that I've heard about and has been successful. Okay. So on, on my end, what I would add, it, very similar to some of the things. So my background has has been a little bit eclectic, but one of the things that I think has set me up to, to do well with different things is sometimes scrubbing the HR learning language mm -hmm. from our vernacular when we're talking about what we're going to do yeah. is, is a good way to do it, right? If, if a business leader comes in with a problem and we go to them and say, well, we're going to do a design thinking HR hackathon right. first, <laughs> you can almost just feel the eyes rolling in their heads as they just go, oh, here we go. Oh, you know, <laughs> right. This other kind of pithy thing that we're going to do before we actually solve actual business problems. Mm -hmm. So I agree, right? When you when you break it down and use business language for, right, let's actually get to the real source of the problem, things like that. You know, this is what I've heard you say is really the challenge. Let's actually make sure what that is, I think can be very helpful versus, I mean, it's easy for us because a lot of times we collaborate and talk with other people in our space, it's our language. And a lot of times it's perceived by the outside as this like fluff and it's yeah. not, it's not, but we have to recognize going back to that empathetic standpoint that, it, well, if that's the perception, how do we get around it? I think the other thing I would add is mm -hmm. sometimes we just need to do it right. And not ask permission. I think mm -hmm. sometimes that's just mm -hmm. it. We need to be willing to push mm -hmm. back and not necessarily ask permission to do things and just say, this is just what we're going to do. We're going to build mm -hmm. this into the process as part of it. Um, yeah. Sorry. And the third advice I have, and that builds on what you said before is um, starting with the business, because if you already know, maybe that somewhere in your business, the method is used an agile method or Great design point. thinking in your IT department, in your design department, in your software engineering department, they know this works. So that's the other tip I've had, you know, is why don't you start with that department or that leader 
because chances are they actually there you can use that that there you want to use that yes. term and terminology because it buys you credibility because they know it's an effective method and you're like oh have you thought about using it to address some of your and they're like oh like i had that ex example with yeah. the client before so i think that works as well you, you it comes back to you need to know your client your business leader right um to your point i'm really big on asking why um, I'm a big Simon Sinek fan, always asking why and always starting with the business. What is your business problems you're trying to solve and then tag on how we can solve it? Not necessarily maybe talk about the details or talk about the details depending who your customer is. Yeah. And it goes back to, I see us in many regards, regardless of where we sit in, in the HR talent spaces, our consulting skills, right? It's, it's mm -hmm. upping our game and our consulting skills and being able to dig into those things because it is easy. It's easy when you're brought a problem to just, you want to help, you yeah. want to help. And so you just want to run off and you want to mm -hmm. help. And there can be an assumption that, well, if they told me this is a problem, mm -hmm. then, then that's the problem. So I'm going to jump mm -hmm. to solutioning and actually start mm -hmm. solutioning it versus mm -hmm. taking the time to ask those thoughtful questions. Mm -hmm. And I can personally say, I can think of countless experiences where you start asking those thoughtful questions mm -hmm. instead of you having to tell them, I think you're wrong or my right. research is showing me wrong. It mm -hmm. almost kind of leads them to go, wait a minute, maybe I am thinking a little bit different about this, but I love your point mm -hmm. about the advocacy, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes you just have to say, okay, this person's not getting it. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to go find somebody who does, mm -hmm. who can help bring them along for the ride. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. So on the, the other big one, and I, and I see this, I still battle this one back a lot and have been even long before COVID-19. But so we talked about this virtual hackathon stuff. And uh, when it comes to virtual anything or digital anything, I still feel like there is a bit of a perception that it just can't be as good, right? We can do it. That sounds great, Nicole. You use Slack and Zoom and these things and fine, but we all know that people really didn't get as much out of it as they would have. And I'm curious, and I know the answer to this because we talked about it, but what was the response? Did people get to the end and go, neat idea, but yeah, it just wasn't really all that great. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was amazing because so, and I've been thinking and reflecting on this a lot because the, the response was just positive. I still, after four weeks now, people say this, I can't stop talking about this. So, you know, four weeks later. Um, and so I kept reflecting on what is it really? And so what I came to conclude is that um, some of the biggest learning happens, I think, in the undesigned space. And so I, I've done my stint in L&D and I know in training, sometimes we design everything to the last minute, right? In our training plan. And what I found is that some of the greatest learning, and I actually, I want to quote this because I read an article yesterday that brought it to the point in MIT Sloan. Um, nothing truly novel, nothing that matters is learned with ease. And, and that sort of brought, it's not like a novel quote or something, but it brought it sort of together for me. So I designed this experience for, with two outcomes in mind, right? A, to come up with tangible solutions that people can use right away to help solve the crisis, right? That was the number one. Secondly, I wanted people to have and experiential learning, you know, to learn about design thinking concepts, because many of them had never been exposed to. And that's what we do in HR Hackathon Alliance anyways, right? So that's how I designed it for. Yep. What I found is from the feedback I've gotten that some of the, and that was certainly achieved, those bigger outcomes, and I think for many, um, but then every individual had an even more profound individual learning experience. And that happened in what I call that undesigned space. So for example, uh, I had a couple of people, actually one moderator and one participant who were about to change their mind and participating because they're like, yeah. okay, all of a sudden I'm really scared. I, I, I've never done a hackathon. I don't know what I'm getting myself into, especially as a moderator. It got really scary. So I, let's, let's just say I encouraged them to participate. Okay. And those folks at the end were had some of their pro most profound learning journey in overcoming what they thought were their own limitations, either in using virtual tools or maybe they had never prototyped before. Um, I got still emails after that, you know, so how much they've grown that. Um, and then I actually, one of the leaders, she, she's a leader, um, and she said, you know, 
I, one of the, my most profound learnings was I thought I was a very collaborative leader coming into this and going through the experience. I actually reflected and found that I'm not as collaborative as I thought I was, you know? And so, uh, so some of these things are, I didn't design for them. I, I also, you know, people said, you know, within the last four weeks since lockdown, this was the first time I, I felt I laughed again. I had yeah. fun again and I did something meaningful again. You know, also, I mean, I didn't design necessarily for that. That was a hope. But those are just some stories of some of the unintended um, outcomes. Yeah. And the, to your point, you know, can the quality be high? So, I mean, everybody, I welcome everybody to look at the website, hrvshackathon.org. You, you see the solutions. I personally super impressed with what what, what people came up with in 20, uh, 72 hours. Yeah. I mean, people actually design up to wireframe. So there's literally apps in there where, you know, with a little help from your internal IT friends, you could, you know, implement that in your organization. So it's something very tangible, something you can use and the quality. And, and that's why we ask them to document their yeah. process. Um, even if you say this solution doesn't work for me right now, you can go back and look at their other ideas or at their research and benefit from, you know, whatever phase you need to benefit from. So I'm personally very impressed by the quality that came out in, in just 72 hours. And yeah. with a group of people, all, I mean, HR, designers, all academics, all over the world, time constraints, technology constraints. And that's, again, the undesigned space. Yep. And especially when we think about maybe leadership development, um, they created their own learning path within this. Yeah. Uh, and, and some of that greatest learning happened there. So again, when I think about designing, especially leader, leadership development interventions, I think about something like that, you know, and when I reflect on what was the most profound learning experience as a leader for me, they were all really experiential. Yeah. They were rarely ha happening. I'm, yep. I'm sorry to say, <laughs> I know there's a lot of L&D professionals no, here, but well, but in the, the classroom. So. But the thing about it is, you know, when you, when you first shared with me what you'd done and you said, Hey, this is something I think would be an interesting topic to talk about, especially in the sense of there's a need, right? There's a need, but also there were some things that, and I'll just share with you what stood out to me about what you did, which is why I think it, it worked well, right? You know, some of the big ones that we've talked about this, right? You started with a problem. I think that, mm -hmm. that at its core is one of the biggest pieces. You started with a problem that you were trying to solve. But as I look at the way you did the transformation of it from, right, the way it was into the digital space, you did it right, which was you actually deconstructed what are the components of the hackathon and what are the best ways to do that? Instead of saying, we're going virtual, so that means we have to do it in Zoom and we're gonna figure out how we do everything in Zoom. You really said, okay, what are the components of the hackathon? What are the different activities within there that we need to do? And then how do we actually find a tool that can accomplish that? And you landed on Zoom, Slack, Google Docs, but it was you, you got to, you arrived to that based on figuring out what are the components of a hackathon we really need to get through and make it mm -hmm. effective with the audience that we have. And I think that's a lesson that anybody can walk away from you know, when, whatever you're transforming with tech. Mm -hmm. The other thing you brought up that is a really important one is so often it's so easy to create environments where everybody's comfortable, right? And it's a natural tendency. We don't want anybody to be uncomfortable or we don't want anybody to fail. We want everybody to walk out feeling good about what they did. But that's not actually what fosters learning, right? That is not what pushes people to learn. The best way to push people to learn is to push them. And there's a threshold, right? You need to push them into the zone of proximal development where they are uncomfortable. They they don't have all the answers. They haven't done it. You don't want to push them to the point where the stress level is causing right. you know chaos. But you did it, right? You made people uncomfortable in this environment. And I think the other thing with when you look at the tech thing, when I hear people say, well, digital just, it's not quite as good. You focused on the fact that no, the collaboration, right? Let's use this for collaboration. And that can be done in the digital space. And when done well, makes a big impact. So I think mm -hmm. you really kind of hit those all on the head, which is, I mean, it sounds like it went off extremely well. And I think you were comfortable failing. Like, I'm sure not everything went perfectly. Right. Um, and bringing your design thinking methodology into play, you brought mm -hmm. it to life. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, I, there, it's ahead. definitely, so, so to that, I, you know, I want to share that. Um, 
that you learn most when you're uncomfortable. Yep. I mean, I was definitely uncomfortable at moments, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> because I had never done, I mean, I'd done the HR hackathon, the lives, I designed those, right? But this was first for us as well. So, but I was very transparent about that too. And I shared that and, you know, I said, we are going in this with an experimentation mindset. So I hope you join us on this journey. And, you know, there will probably, especially the first day and they did, I'm like, there's probably gonna, things are gonna be chaotic especially yeah. the first day and I'm just going to be up front. Please expect that and please just roll with us, you know, yeah. but to your point, so for my own learning also, this was certainly, you know, stretching myself and I learned a ton, yeah. ton from it myself. So. Perfect. Well, thanks so much, Nicole, for, for joining me and talking about it and sharing with us just based on the comments. I think people got a Thank lot you. out of it. For those of you who are still here, or maybe catching up, um, watching the recording, I will post in the comments and on the blog page some links that Nicole's put together for this so you can learn more about it um, and all that good stuff. But I uh, hope, hope everybody got something valuable out of it. And I definitely think there's a lot here to take away. So thanks, Nicole, for sharing. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Have a great weekend, and uh, we will see you next week. Thanks, Chris. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks, everybody.